by the power of the Holy Spirit working through word and sacrament. Then we hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God. My friends, it's just that simple. It's in the divine service that he's there for you, that he delivers the forgiveness. That's where he promises forgiveness will be. Uh, And so that's why it's so important uh, to be in church. We long that God would answer the prayer when we pray, deliver us from evil. Get me out of here. Get me out of this sin-filled world. And that is Jesus Christ uh, who says, do not count their sin against them for my blood has paid the price for that. Now on 95.7 FM, it's Proclaiming the One with Pastor Clint Poppy and Pastor Adam Moline from Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome once again to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline, Vicar Daniel Golden. We are privileged to serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. We gather each week to take a look at the upcoming readings to help you prepare personally and corporately for your Sunday morning worship. Today we're going to be looking at the readings for the 17th Sunday after Trinity, Trinity 17. The introit where we begin is a select verses, and you really, really have to select verses from Psalm 119, because Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in all of Scripture. But uh, we have selected verses from Psalm 119 to get us started. Vicar, take it away. Righteous are you, O Lord, and right are your just decrees. Deal with your servant according to your steadfast love, and teach me your statutes. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. Okay, righteous are you, O Lord. What does that mean, Pastor? Well, uh, it's really telling us who the identity of God is. God is, by his very nature, uh, righteous. That means he's holy, complete, uh, undefiled, no sin, no shortcomings, no failures within him. He is holy and perfect. So the second line, uh, the first line tells us who God is. He's righteous, he's holy, he's perfect. The second line uh, tells us what he does. Right are your just decrees. What's going on there? Well, uh, I think uh, this is one of those places that's interesting in our particular translation in the intro it here. Um, in the Hebrew, the word just decrees is actually Torah, uh, referring to the first five books of the Bible or maybe sometimes translated law. Uh, and because of uh, uh, the understanding that the Torah does not only contain law in the way that we often use the word, it also contains gospel. We've used a, a different phrase here, just decrees. And so Essentially, what we're saying is, uh, right are all of your words. Your word is true. Everything that you say, God, that is the absolute truth. And so, uh, just decrees, that's what it means. Everything God says 
is right. When that and and it's difficult in the English translations because we don't always see exactly what word is being translated. And because Psalm one nineteen is so long, the translators sometimes try to be almost kind of clever and cutesy with lots of different ways to translate the same word, so it's not boring and repetitious. But when we have the word Torah, I have always thought that we should translate that as our default, the word of God. Yes. And then if we we translate it, the word of God, and then look at the context to see if there's a particular nuance with regard to that word of law, whether it is emphasizing the, the law, the Ten Commandments part, or the gospel, the saving nature of the word, or some instruction in, uh, in God's word. Uh, what do you think of that approach, Pastor? I think that's wise, and I think that's the reason then when we translate it, we've tried to say it's not just the word law, because our mind, when we think law, it thinks of, you know, here's a speed limit, uh, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, things like that, and it has a much broader use than that. And so it does take some thinking on our part and maybe a little bit of examination and study of Scripture to figure out how it's being used in a particular context, and so that's why they've changed the translation. So we have a holy, right, and righteous God who deals with us according to his holy, right, and just word. Uh, This is the nature of God. This is uh, how God acts and deals with us, and that's naturally where the introit goes. Deal with your servant according to your steadfast love. Uh, Vicar... Who is the servant that we're talking about here? The servant is the one who fears the Lord, rightly fears the Lord. Um, And it's not just fear because fear is also worship in Hebrew. Uh, When we fear the Lord, we worship the Lord. And actually, as Pastor Moline taught me last week, that is what leads to wisdom. Um, Where do we find the wisdom, this nuance of this uh, steadfast love? Your just decrees, your word includes and has and is totally your steadfast love which your servant who fears worships and loves the lord uh, is is what should be followed when we uh, began this introit we're talking about who god is and what he does and the word chesed which we uh, translate in english most of the time steadfast love really encompasses both of those, who God is and what he does. Pastor, we have talked many, many, many minutes with regard to the definition of steadfast love, that Hebrew word chesed. Can you kind of summarize for those who may not have heard uh, our discussions in the past, when we talk about the steadfast love or when God's word talks about the steadfast love of the Lord, what are we talking about? Well, I think maybe the way to understand it is the way that we use it at the end of sermons, where we say, uh, now may the peace and love of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a love that's so great that we really have trouble putting it into English words. It's a love that uh, is able to overlook shortcomings and sins uh, through the death of Jesus. And really, I think therein lies where the true definition of this hesed love is steadfast love, Um, and it comes from an epistle of John, I believe. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and gave his son as an atoning sacrifice for all of our sins. 
that's love. And that's where we have to go to to understand the beginning of love, uh, especially that God has for us. And then that love overflows in the way that we then care for the people around us as well. All of it has its source and beginning in seeing what God does in Jesus for us. The nature of God is to deal with his servants compassionately, loving, caring. This is the uh, uh, proper work of God. Unfortunately, uh, God is sometimes forced, because of us, into his alien work. When we talk about the, the proper work of God or the primary work of God and the foreign or alien work of God, what does that mean, Pastor, uh, with regard to how God deals with his servants? Yeah, uh, so God is love, uh, and that love is shown in the personal work of Jesus, uh, where God gives, 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 and provides, provides, provides. And in fact, even though we go to the creed and the catechism, uh, God creates everything. He uses it to take care of us without any merit or worthiness in ourselves. He sends his son to die for us. He calls, uh, calls us to faith in him. All these things, that shows God's love, and that's his um, natural existence. That's who he is by nature. Uh, his alien nature would be the one that says, okay, because of your sin, you must die. Uh, when God steps out of what his normal love is, uh, and that's, um, God does not seek to condemn sinners. Uh, God, let me say it the right way. God does not want to send sinners to hell, but he will. Uh, and uh, that's his f- alien work is to condemn, to uh, kill, to destroy. Um, and those two things are both true. Uh, and it just depends on where your faith is. What's the content of that faith that determines where you stand in regards to God? That's not my best explanation of it off the cuff here, but that's at least a starting point. Yeah, well, I, uh, I kind of caught you off guard with that question. Uh, it says, teach me your statutes. Um, why do we need to be taught, Vicar? Doesn't, uh, isn't this common sense? Doesn't this seem like uh, everybody should know this on their own? No, because of the old Adam in us, um, we, we, should, we do not follow the statutes as we should, and therefore uh, we are not blameless. We do not walk in the law of the Lord. Uh, Pastor, the uh, the next lines in our intro remind me an awfully lot of Matthew chapter 5, the uh, Beatitudes. We have, blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. Um, oh, that my ways would be steadfast in keeping your statutes, then I will not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on your commandments. Uh, blessed are those whose way is blameless who walk in the way of the Lord. Um, we know we can't do these things, these very things that we're praying about or uh, reading about here in God's words. So why is it important for the servant whose way is not blameless, who does not walk in the way of the Lord, who um, uh, uh, uh doesn't keep these uh, testimonies and doesn't seek him, what, uh, what's the significance of this particular psalm at this particular time? Um, well, the, 
it does reflect the words of Matthew and the Sermon on the Mount of Jesus when he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who mourn, and all those things. And the word blessed there is something that is applied to us uh, through the word of God. It's a declaration that we are declared righteous before God, and it's something that, that finds its source in justification in what Jesus does for us on the cross. And so, um, blessed are those whose way is blameless is a fancy way of saying, blessed are those who have been declared righteous by the blood of Jesus. And then it says, who walk in the law of the Lord, uh, a result of our being declared righteous for the blood of Jesus is that we seek to keep God's commands and to live a righteous life to the best of our ability. And we talked about this before, about there's the old sinful nature and the new Christian nature that are always at war within us, and uh, Paul talks about that several times as well. That's the reality of the Christian life, that we do not do the things that we know we ought to do, and we do do the things that uh, we know we shouldn't do. And I always like to say it that way, we do do, right? Uh, that's really the way that it happens. Uh, and and so that's the whole Christian life that's described in that line. We also have, blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek after them with their whole heart. This again is when God declares us righteous for Christ's sake, uh, we try to keep God's testimony, his law, and seek to follow him with our whole heart. That old sinful nature still fights against that within us, which means the Christian Christian life is a life of repentance and confession and receiving absolution and God's gifts over and over and over again till we finally die and leave this world. And that's the unique genre that we have here in Psalm 119, this wisdom uh, literature, this wisdom psalm, teaching us the two paths that are before every Christian, the path of good, the path of righteousness, the path of bad, the path of evil, the path of unrighteousness. And Christ has walked that path of righteousness for us, and he sets us on that path, he teaches us in the path, and he keeps us in that path. We need to take a short break. This is Proclaiming the One. We're looking at the readings for the 17th Sunday after Trinity. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Golden. We are looking at the readings for the 17th Sunday after Trinity. In our first segment, we looked at the introit, selected verses from Psalm 119. Um, and I'm just trying to, before we get into our gospel reading, I'm trying to come up with kind of a general theme. Uh, who God is, steadfast love. How God deals with his people, steadfast love. Uh, how is that steadfast love manifested in the life of a believer, the servant of God? That is a life that hungers for the word of God, dwells in the word of God, and truly strives to follow the word of God. Unfortunately, uh, we're sinners. We live in a sin-filled world, and our only hope is the one who has walked that way for us our Lord and Savior Jesus, the epitome 
of steadfast love. What do you think, Pastor? Yeah, I think that that's a true thing, and I think um, as we read this, we'll find out that oftentimes we want to put ourselves forward, uh, have some part in the salvation that God offers or whatnot, and we always have to look to Christ. And even as you were saying that, I'm thinking of the hymn that we often sing uh, during the Lenten season, O Christ, you walk the road, uh, our wandering feet must go. Uh, I think that uh, that hymn kind of is exemplifying the things that you're talking about. I think uh, I think that's a great segue now to our gospel reading. The gospel reading for the 17th Sunday after Trinity is Luke 14, 1 to 11. Vicar? One Sabbath, when Jesus went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Now he told a parable to those who were invited, when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. We have the uh, money verse there in verse 11, the the end of the story, the moral of the story, if you want uh, to think about it in those terms. This is, uh, this is a pericope or a text that is uh, talking about humility and uh, exaltation. And we have the uh, perfect picture of humility and exaltation in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We have, we have an account that happens with regard to the uh, the attitude of the uh, Pharisees and the lawyers. Um, we have their attitude with regard to Jesus and how they treat him. We have the teaching on the Sabbath. And then we have this parable of Jesus. And so all three of these are interconnected. Um, Pastor, the Pharisees... Uh, they were dining at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees. They were watching him carefully. Um, earlier, a few weeks ago, we had how the people were astonished at the miracles of Jesus, and they were hanging on his words. Is that the same thing that's going on here? Are the Pharisees astonished at Jesus and hanging on his words? Um, I think I want to say both yes and no? I would say no. 
Um, and I think we have to understand who the Pharisees are to understand why it is that they are watching him. The Pharisees are kind of, if you will, a political group that existed within the Jewish nation uh, and the theological world uh, at that particular time. They are lay people, um, but they are experts in the law, or so they understand. They study the law, and uh, in the Old Testament, I believe there's 613, and I might be off by a few, but 613 or 14 laws uh, that they take from from the Torah, then they say, if you're going to be Jewish, you need to keep all of these laws. And not only that, then, the Pharisees create new laws in an effort to protect and guard the laws that are actually written in the Scripture. And so an example of that would be, if the speed limit is 45 miles an hour, the Pharisees would say, well, you should only drive 35 miles an hour so that you never go over the 45. And that way, they've created a new and more strict law to guard what the actual true law is. And not only that, then, if um, you're driving 44 miles an hour, which would be good and legal and under the correct limit, they would judge you and say, ah, you're breaking the law because you're driving faster than 35 miles an hour, which is not the truth at all. Uh, But you're breaking the created man-made law that they have put together. And so... These people, that's the way that their brains are working. And so they are watching Jesus to see if he's keeping the law as it's written in the Old Testament, and then also watching even more closely to see if he's keeping the law the way that they understand it with all those added protections of what the word actually says. And so they are legalists, and they're watching him to see if he will keep the legal code that they have in their mind. Uh, Where I was going with this, Pastor, and I I agree thousand percent with everything you said, where I was going with this is... uh, the, the people in our earlier pericope that were hanging on his words uh, in astonishment were hanging on his words in faith. They wanted to know what Jesus would say next because they believed who he was and what he said. And the Pharisees are hanging on his words, trying to catch him, trying to trap him. They're yeah. hanging on his words in unbelief. And we see this going on in our world today. People that are hanging on the words of Jesus, people who study the Holy Scriptures, some study the Holy Scriptures in faith to grow their faith and sustain their faith. Others study the Holy Scriptures to attack God, to look for seeming inconsistencies. That's kind of where I was going with that. So uh, uh, I'm going to just move on and say we're both right. Um <laughs> So several times in Scripture, we have this, this whole deal about healing people on the Sabbath. And uh, this, this must have been one of those big rules with regard to the Sabbath. I know that there were extra rules created so that you didn't break the Sabbath, uh, extra rules like how many steps you could take from your house or how many sticks you could pick up before it was considered work, those kind of things. And so Jesus is the one who kind of uh, stirs the pot here. There's a man who has a definite need, this man with dropsy, and uh, and you can you can uh, go online and uh, it's uh, retaining water, uh, congestive heart failure, that kind of a thing. Uh, so he's got a definite need. Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Jesus is the one now who brings this up. Some of the other cases, it's the others who are kind of tempting Jesus to heal on the Sabbath. Pastor, why is this Sabbath 
action and Sabbath healing such a big deal? Well, uh, Jesus is going right after the way that their minds are working. They're legalists. They're examining and watching. And so Jesus is attacking their false god of keeping the law. And the way he's going to do this is he's going to turn around their legalism on them. And so there's a man on the Sabbath, and you talked about the Sabbath. The Sabbath, you're to refrain from doing any work. You're to leave that behind. You're to... um, stop your normal way of doing it. Uh, And this comes out of the Ten Commandments, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, and on this day you shall do no work, uh, from uh, the Old Testament, I think. Um, What Jesus is doing here is he's saying, well, maybe we should go back one step more even. The Pharisees on top of that have created more laws to guard and protect that Sabbath day. What does it mean to do no work? It means you can't do this, you can't do that, can't do this, can't do that. And now somebody's in need. The question is, is it more important to love that person in need, or is it more important to keep these extra above and beyond laws? Is the law there um, to the hurt and harm of my neighbor, or is the law there uh, for the good of my neighbor? And that's really a question that Jesus is trying to get at. And so this person in need, is it legal to help somebody in need, even if it's a Sabbath day? Or should we just leave them there to suffer, bleed, and die? Or just, uh, you know, and he goes on, if your son's in a well, do you say, I'll have to come back tomorrow because today's the Sabbath day and I can't help you? That's where he's going. You would, you would, uh, you would definitely rescue the ox uh, in the uh, little situation that it, that's fallen into a well. Uh, that's just humanity, you, you know, the suffering animal. Uh, I think Jesus is saying, wouldn't you treat a human being even more highly than you would an animal? Uh, I think that's kind of what's going on here. Um, let me let me throw this scenario out at you and see if it uh, see if it applies. I am going to church on Sunday morning, and I see one of my fellow church members has a flat tire. Uh, that fellow church member is uh, eighty five years old. And I say to myself, well, you know, I can't stop and help because otherwise I'll be late for church and break the third commandment. Um, Would that be a way of using the law to avoid loving my neighbor as God calls me to do? Is that that a fair analogy? Yeah, that's a similar thing to what um, Jesus is driving at. And I guess this is the... The point of the law, right? And we say this when we teach confirmation. There's two tables. First, love towards God, the first three commandments, and then second, love towards neighbor. Um, and so what he's getting at is when the rubber hits the road and you can either choose one or the other, how do you do it? Um, and this is the Christian life then. We serve our neighbor uh, because God has served us. And so rather, it's turning it around from us trying to please God to rather seeing God as the merciful one who comes down and serves us. And once we see it coming, love coming from above down to us rather than us trying to earn God's forgiveness, it sets us free to do all sorts of things in love and service to neighbor, uh, and even then by extension in love and service to God. Uh, so it's a 
what's the point of what we're talking about? Is it for us to please God and earn our way into heaven? Or has God already done that for us and now we're free to serve our neighbor in need? And we don't pit one part of God's word against another part of God's word. We see that happening all the time. Um, we think we think we can manipulate God's word to get us off the hook with regard to certain kind of actions or certain kind of behavior. Um, uh, I have to work on Sunday and get extra overtime because God wants me to love my family. When the sole motivating factor is I want a bigger paycheck and I couldn't give a rip about going to church. The, these are the kind of things that God's word exposes. And the steadfast love of God, the chesed of God, will have none of that. Forgiveness, life, and salvation in Jesus. And now we with a joyful response to the good news of forgiveness, life, and salvation. We're going to see that played out in the second half of our text, the parable that Jesus tells about those who are invited to a wedding banquet. Luke 14, 1 to 11. We'll be right back. Don't change that dial. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Golden. We are privileged to serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. We gather each Sunday for worship at 8 and 1030 with Sunday school for all ages in between. Wednesday evening, 630 year round. We'd love to have you join us for worship. If uh, you are in the Lincoln area and don't have a church home, uh, come check us out. You can listen on the radio. All of our worship services are live on KNNAS. LP 95.7 in and around Lincoln. If you're outside of our listening area, check us out on the app. Go to the website, uh, thecross957.org. We'd love your feedback, and uh, we thank you for listening to our Proclaiming the One. We, uh, we have been getting a lot of feedback, and we're very, very thankful for that and for our listeners as well. In uh, segment one, we looked at the introit for Trinity 17, selected verses from Psalm 119. In segment two, we looked at the first two parts of Luke 14, 1 to 11, the, uh, the meal where Jesus is at with the Pharisees and teachers of the law, and uh, the meals on a Sabbath, a man with dropsy, Jesus heals the man with dropsy, um, uses the ex and uh, on the Sabbath uses the uh, example about pulling out your ox showing mercy there and then he tells a parable beginning at verse 7 in Luke 14 vicar to uh, to get those words fresh in our minds you want to read uh, Luke 14 7 to 11 now he told the parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But 
when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. You know, there are some of the parables that Jesus tells that, you know, really, it's kind of hard for modern ears and modern customs to to immediately grasp what's going on. Um, I'm thinking of the, the parable of the ten virgins and some of those, but uh, or the, the agricultural parables for people who live in a urban setting. This is a parable that pretty much anybody who's ever gone to a wedding can relate to. Uh, maybe I am the only one, but there have been numerous times when I uh, have gone to a wedding, my wife and I at the reception, we sit down at a table, and then all of a sudden at some point in time, somebody comes up and says, oh, this table is reserved for family. You have to move. And then there are no tables left. And so it's standing room only, or you know, you have to crowd in an extra chair, and it really is kind of humiliating pastor uh you know you've been doing this pastor thing for a while you ever had that happen to you in north dakota we always had the wedding receptions at the community hall and they'd set up all these tables and everybody would come in and they would try and figure out what order the food was going to be brought out or what order the tables were going to be dismissed for the food and they would try and figure that out and then they would calculate um uh, the magic point that was between the bar and where the food was going to be first served so that they would get food first and still be close enough to go and get the free beer because that's in North Dakota too they usually have a couple kegs and there'd be people passing out the kegs and once the kegs were done then it was a cash bar so you have to find the magic spot between the first table to get food and closest to the bar so a lot of jockeying for position. A lot of jockeying for uh, position. So people can people can relate to this in some way, shape, or form. Whether you've done it or not, you've probably seen it happen to others as well. So um, he's telling this um, when he noticed how they chose the places of honor. They chose the places of honor. Pastor... When we try to bring honor to ourselves, what does this display with regard to our our spiritual condition? Well, I think it goes back to our discussion about the Pharisees. The way that they see it, they are going to be in God's kingdom. They're going to be saved because not only have they kept the law that God gave, but they also kept the uh, above and beyond law that um, they have put together themselves. And so because of that, they see themselves as a higher um, level of person, honor-wise, than all the average people that exist in the, the, the rest of the world. And so this is the same thing then, right? Where What's the way they're going to be saved? By their own actions, by their own things that they do. In other words, they think they deserve it more than the other people. So in their mind, they're going to sit in the higher tables because look at me. I've kept all these rules and laws and you have not. And Jesus is saying, no, that's not the way it's going to work. Uh, Because the truth is you have been invited to a wedding feast. 
Uh, you've been invited by God to the eternal wedding feast of the Lamb uh, and his bride, the church, that will last world without end. So are you going to come to the door and say, look at me, I deserve to be here? Or uh, do you understand the truth? The only reason that you're there is because of God's mercy. The only reason that you're there is because Christ died for your sins and for all the things that you've done wrong. Do you understand that um, I mean, you don't deserve to be there, and, and in that re- knowledge about yourself, take the lowest seat and say, you know, I really haven't uh, got any reason to sit at the high table. The only reason I'm here is because of mercy. That's, that's the, the distinction that Christ is trying to draw with this particular parable. So are you saying, Pastor, that uh, those who want to exalt themselves and choose their own seat or sit in a position of honor at the wedding banquet are those who are trying to force their way into the wedding banquet by their own name, by their own reputation, by their own good works? Is that, is that what we're talking about? It's exactly the way it is. And when you're doing it based upon your own name, reputation, works, gifts, uh, things like that, who have you taken out of the equation in your salvation? Jesus. And that's the problem, and that's what Christ is trying to get across here. Well, if that if that is what this is talking about, rather than just basic table manners and humility, then when Jesus says... Um, Give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. He's not saying sit in the back of the room. He's saying literally you're going to hell. Is that, I mean, uh, these, are, these are shocking words that, uh, you know, we don't want to think about with loving, caring, mamby-pamby Jesus. Is that what's going on here? Is this the harsh reality of either you're at the wedding banquet or you're not at the wedding banquet? You're in heaven, you're in hell, you're with Jesus, you're against Jesus? Or is that putting too much on this particular parable? Go back to your example of when you've been to the wedding and accidentally sat at the reserved table and then were asked to leave. Is there any space left? Nope. No, you're left standing room only you're, or outside, or maybe you'll have to go uh, and on your drive home, stop at Runza. You aren't in the wedding feast anymore. And that's exactly then what Jesus is saying. If you've exalted yourself too highly, there'll be no space left for you. That, uh, that adds a whole new level of importance with regard to this particular parable because we're, we are not talking about uh, uh, a humble attitude. We're not talking about table manners uh, in general. We're talking about a humble attitude with regard to the Word of God. We're talking about table manners with regard to how we eat and dine with Christ here and now, which will be reflective of how we eat and dine with Christ for all eternity in the heavenly banquet. Um, Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Pastor, in light of everything that we've talked about, what are these words teaching us right here and right now today? Well, first off, if you exalt yourself, you'll be humbled. In other words... Uh, in the end or at some point there'll be something that destroys whatever confidence you have in yourself and your own abilities or whatnot. And then we talk about the one who humbles himself. Um, Let's be honest, right? If we say, oh yeah, I'm the humblest guy I know, you're not really that humble. (laughs) That's actually the opposite of that. I think I have the spiritual gift of humility because I took a 
spiritual gifts inventory. Well, aren't you something, right? Yeah. Uh, And that's the attitude that's even behind that. And so when we talk about the one who humbles himself, we have to first see that in Christ. And Jesus is the one who's so humble that he's willing to be stripped naked, beaten, uh, nailed to a cross, and killed wrongly on your behalf. That's true humility. Uh, And so that's Christ first. Now, when you are in Christ, then that that uh, identity is imputed upon you or placed upon you as well, and that happens in baptism. But that's not your own identity based on your own works or your own personality or anything like that. That humble identity can only be found when we're in Jesus himself. And so now in Jesus, humbling ourselves before God, the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the Word of God, the Holy Bible— God will recreate us and our attitude, not only toward God and his word, but our attitude in all of life will be an attitude of service and humility. Vicar, when someone has been recreated in Christ, when someone has humbled themselves before the word of God, how might this humble attitude in life manifest itself? Well, being humble in life manifests itself in a Christian life, number one, in prayer. We don't go to the top of the temple and hold our hands up high so holy to pray in front of all. But as Jesus teaches us, we go into a quiet room, into a quiet closet, and pray just us in God at times. Um, That is true humbling, and that's as we're taught in the Word. Unless uh, unless you have this humble spirit, you have no need to pray. Pastor, uh, in the uh, time that we have left, how would this uh, manifest itself in the various vocations that uh, God has placed us in? Well, where, whatever station in life you are, uh, you are free because you belong to Christ and you know that your salvation is based solely on what he's done on your behalf. You're free to act like a Christian to those around you. So you don't love the stuff that you have more than you love Christ because your salvation's in Christ, which sets you free then to use that stuff to help the person who's hungry or the person that sits down the pew that lost a loved one uh, to give some of your uh, care or food or money or time to help them out in their time of need. The person who's in the hospital, you're free to use some of the time for their good and not just for your own because you don't need to use your time for yourself to exalt yourself or to put yourself forward because Christ has done that and your salvation is found in him. And so really, um, Christ humbling himself and saving us by that humility sets us free to be humble in service and care and love to the people that surround us. And that's if you're a father, you can do that for your children. If you're a mother, uh, you can do it for your children. If you're a husband or wife, you can do it for your spouse. If you're a uh, worker in the field, you can humble yourself to harvest the food, uh, to feed other people, and not need to feel like you need to... uh, um, sell it at such a high price that you're going to finally be the big-time farmer or anything like that. And this isn't just farmers. It's every single thing in your life you're set free to serve others. Well said. And uh, when we come back from our break, we want to take a look at the epistle reading, Ephesians 4, 1 to 6. We'll carry on this theme with regard to how this is manifest, this humility in Christ is manifest in our lives. Don't change that dial. Proclaiming the one. 
Welcome back to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Golden. We're looking at the readings for the 17th Sunday after Trinity. In segment one, we looked at the introit, selected verses of Psalm 119, and once again, looked at the steadfast love, the chesed that God is and has for us. In segments two and three, we looked at the gospel reading for Trinity 17, Luke 14, 1 to 11. A uh, banquet at a house, Jesus heals a man with dropsy, the Pharisees and the lawyers are uh, not happy with this. Jesus teaches them about the Sabbath and tells the parable about the wedding feast and people selecting places of honor. The bottom line for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. We're not talking about table manners here. We're talking about humbling ourselves before the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, humbling ourselves before the Word of God, confessing our sin and letting God recreate us in the waters of holy baptism, forgiveness, life, and salvation. One of the Bible passages that came to my mind, Pastor, during break with regard to this uh gospel reading was Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That verse kind of encapsulates, seems to me, everything that we've talked about, and that response of faith that flows from the person and work of Christ. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Uh, we said uh, we were going to move in our last segment to the epistle reading, Ephesians 4, 1 to 6. For many people, this is a very, very familiar reading, and we want to see how this is a practical application of everything that we've talked about so far. Vicar, Ephesians 4, 1 to 6. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. One, 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 one. Kind of seems like uh, this uh, oneness or this unity is a uh, pretty big theme here in Ephesians 4, 1 to 6. What do you think, Pastor? It, it definitely is, and it flows out of what is said before that, um, the humility uh, that we have as Christians. This goes back to what we were talking about. Now that we've been set free by the blood of Jesus Christ, we're free to live as Christians uh, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, maintaining the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And uh, this this idea goes on even further in other places in Scripture and even in our understanding of the, the church as the body of Christ. Um, we're all one body. We're all one people. We're all one uh, life form, if you will. And I think the beauty of that is, so say I'm the, the hand, when the little toe gets stubbed in the middle of the night, 
I still go and show compassion to that hand. I, uh, I rub the toe. Uh, I, I, uh, my mouth screams. My whole body aches for that toe when it gets stubbed in the middle of the night. And that's the way that Christians then care for our little toes as well, for the person who sits down the pew, for the person in need, for the person who's hungry. We're free to do that because of what Christ has done for us. Vicar, in uh, common language or vernacular, whatever the situation, uh, secular and religious, sometimes you will hear people say something like, um, it's easy to talk the talk, but it's not so easy to walk the walk. We've heard that phrase applied in a lot of ways. How is that uh, brought out in the very early words here? Verse 1, I urge you uh, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Well, to be able to walk the walk is much harder than talking the talk. Um, Some people obviously say the good word that, yeah, I do this and I do that and I do all things right. I I love my neighbor. I'm humble and gentle and patient and bearing one another. Um, But are you? Are you really doing that? And that's what he's urging us to walk in a manner worthy of which of the calling from God to which you have been called. Uh, Pastor, I don't remember God waking me up in the middle of the night and saying, Clint, Poppy, I'm sending you, or anything like that. Uh, I didn't get a letter in the mail. I didn't get a a Twitter uh, direct message. How did God call me? Or did he call me? Or can I be sure that he called me? We're talking about this, this calling into which we have been called. What is it, and how can I be sure that it applies to me? Well, luckily, as Lutherans, we have the small catechism, which helps us uh, understand that a little bit. And and to be fair, the small catechism gets this teaching based upon Scripture, um, but it takes all the different places that talk about this and puts it into one place, and it says that the Holy Spirit has called you by the gospel, enlightened you with his gift, and sanctified and kept you in the one true faith. And so it's the Word of God, the gospel, number one, that calls you into the faith. When you hear the Word of God preached and taught in its truth and purity, the Holy Spirit is there working in that to point your faith and your eyes to Jesus Christ crucified and risen. Uh, So he's called you by the gospel. He's enlightened you with his gifts. What gifts are we talking about? Well, God gives you the gift of holy baptism in which all your sin is washed away and you're clothed in the robe of Christ's righteousness that covers all that guilt and shame so that when God looks at you, he doesn't see sinful Clint Poppy. Rather, he sees Jesus uh, and his blood that forgives all your sins and your shortcomings. Uh, He also has given you the gift of the Lord's Supper where you eat the very body and blood of Jesus, Um, not just uh, a dead piece of meat or, you know, just a foot or a hand or anything like that. In each piece of bread and each sip of wine, you get the entire Jesus living, crucified, resurrected, uh, and ascended into heaven at the right hand of God and uh, alive forever. And the gifts that he gives in that gift of eating uh, are forgiveness, life, and salvation. And so uh, the Holy Spirit's called you by the gospel, enlightened you with the gifts of baptism and the Lord's Supper, and he has sanctified and declared you to be holy through all three of those things so that now you are a part of the church called uh, into that existence and uh, called to be there forever. And that's exactly what the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul is teaching us in uh, the uh, 
later verses of our text here, we're looking at Ephesians 4, 1 to 6, the epistle reading for the 17th Sunday after Trinity. Uh, it says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, who is over all and through all and in all. This unity that we have in God is pure gift given to us in the waters of holy baptism. It makes a new creation out of the dead, miserable sinner destined for hell. And now God is saying, remember who you are. You're a new creation. You have been remade by the blood of Jesus Christ delivered to you in the waters of holy baptism. This is a reminder that every Christian needs every day. Connects us back to that wisdom psalm in Psalm 119. Uh, Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. All these things are connected here and flow from the gift of faith, delivered to us in the waters of baptism, which is nothing more than Good Friday and Easter Sunday being applied to us by God's grace and mercy. Pastor, I want to ask you here where it says, bearing with one another in love. What does that mean for the Christian walk to bear with one another in love? Does that mean we look the other way when people are sinning? Does this mean that uh, we, we keep our mouth shut and don't speak the truth for the sake of unity? What is God teaching us here in that phrase? Uh, no, it doesn't mean we look the other way because love uh, doesn't mean letting somebody do whatever they want to. Love tells them what's dangerous, what might hurt them so that they are kept safe and in care. And so um, I love my children, so I tell them you may not play in the street uh, lots of times they want to play in the street because then they could, you know, roll their ball for a long ways or uh, run back and forth to their friend's house across the street, all that they want to. But we have limits. Love has limits uh, to keep the people safe. And so my kids don't get hit by a car because I don't let them play in the street. Same thing. You know, I tell my kids, I love you. Do not touch the stove because... You get in the habit of touching the stove, one time you're going to touch it while it's hot. And what's going to happen? You're going to get burned and hurt. And so it is out of love, then, that we proclaim the whole uh, entirety of God's Word, uh, even the things that are hard to hear in our modern world, or maybe the things that we don't want to hear, uh, things like you should not live with somebody outside of marriage, uh, you should not sleep with somebody uh, who is not your spouse, uh, you should not sleep with somebody of the same gender as you, uh, you should not steal cars, you should not steal uh, anything really. You should not gossip about somebody. You should not tell lies about your neighbor. You should not betray trusts and confidences. You should not slander somebody. You should not hurt somebody. You should not murder them. You should not uh, vacuum babies out of their moms in pieces. You should not uh, inject wombs with saline solution so babies burn to death within the womb. You should not do these things. These are all said out of love. Um, we get down to it. We've all broken these rules and laws in some particular way, and it's uh, we all need to hear that we should not do the things that we're doing, and only God's grace 
can rescue us from the things we've done wrong. Only God's mercy can forgive us. And so in humility, we have to say, I, a poor, miserable sinner, uh, have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what I've done and by what I've left undone. And God, uh, in his mercy, forgives our sins through the personal work of Jesus Christ. We humble ourselves before the word, and we graciously receive the steadfast love of God in Christ Jesus. Vicar, would you bring things to a close on this 17th Sunday after Trinity with the collect of the day? Yes, let us pray. Lord, we implore you, grant your people peace, grace to withstand the temptations of the devil and with pure hearts and minds to follow you, the only God, through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Amen. Sunday morning when you get up, drink your coffee, read your paper, pray for your pastor, and most importantly, go to church. This is Proclaiming the One. We'll be back again next week. God's richest blessings in Christ.